You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Queer the Isles, the projectionist, Asmicha. Hi, I'm here with Yitzhak Kolakowski and joined by a very old friend, a dear, dear person to me that's a blast from the past, 100%, my good friend, Yako Friedman, joining us from Atlanta. Great to have both of you guys over here. Um, and, you know, I'm from Tennessee. Uh, Yako's living in Atlanta. Um, the South is really never far from my mind. I think the older I get, the more I feel Memphis the way I do. Uh, the personality that I guess loomed so large in my life uh, was Elvis. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I think I told you the anecdote that when I came to Israel, to Eretz Yisrael uh, in 1977, I had been on the plane for, I don't know, 40-something hours till I got there with tremendous with tremendous effort to to get to Israel and, and realize my dream and to be in Eretz Israel. And one of my first mornings in the hallowed yeshiva of Mir, um, as I was walking and trying to find a place to learn to sit down, I happened to um, uh, either knock over or trip over or somehow nudge into a, a, a wonderful, smiling person who was so friendly to me turns out he was from B'nai Brock and he was a a, a gray a, a nephew a grandnephew of the the most illustrious rabbinic figure the Chazonish um and he starts talking to me and he says to me Memphis Memphis oh and he says the the, Elvis, the city of Elvis yes I know and, and and he says he says he says he says ah he says no this is I'm so surprised. Yes, Mishum in Memphis. I said to him back. I said I said I'm surprised. I need spalti. Shalir also should be mitoki shivat mir she achion shavachazoni shagidli al Elvis. I said I'm so surprised that someone in the middle of the mir yeshiva who's a great of the chazonish has met right after Elvis died. So I guess that mushroom cloud of his death was actually moving even in places like Eretz Yisrael, B'nai Brak, and in Yerushalayim. But clearly, Elvis is still, I believe, as it says at the end of Buzz Lerman's film, he's still the top-selling vocalist of all time. Um, I looked uh, today when I was looking through my Apple Music, I saw that there are, there's been, there's still Elvis albums that they are putting out. Uh, they've, they're remixing uh, some of the original Elvis songs with um, you know, in, in some modern way, his stuff is still selling. He's still, and in fact, whenever you think of this movie, and we're not talking about Buzz Lerman's movie, although you can mention it if you want, Yaakov, I know Yitzhak, you haven't seen it. Um, clearly, Elvis is still, uh, Elvis has incredible currency, and I'm not sure when his currency is going to end together. Um, I think the only similarity when might might be Sinatra. It might be that Sinatra was already before he had ever stepped in front of a movie camera had already become i think through the mid the end of the 30s and the mid 40s let me say it better he'd already become a a vocal sensation and he was nudging um Crosby out uh, all the bobby soxers and girls were going nuts about him i don't i don't believe that he had any film presence and i think there was a similar idea let's get this guy into the movies 
He'll sing in the movies. He'll bring people to the movies. I think that's sort of a similar phenomena to what was on people's minds about putting Elvis in. What do you think, Yaakov? I think it's the closest in terms of similarity. I mean, sure, but you could go back to Al Jolson and say that he was an original example of that. I I think the the pre-war expectations of movie stardom were much more broad. You know, you had to be a lot of different things. You had to be a hyphenate. You had to be a singer. You had to be a dancer. You had to be an actor. And if you weren't any of those three things, they could teach you. So they were there were just expectations that people were very talented. And they learned everything because a lot of them came from the stage or they came from vaudeville. I, I agree with you. You have, you know, Fanny Bryce was a vaudeville burlesque uh, star. And then they said, let's put her into the movies. Um, I agree with you. There was this idea. We could put anybody in the movies. We can make anybody, we'll put anybody into the movies and we'll make a movie about them. But the idea of someone being a sensation, like a word, like, like, like to the point, oh, we've got to get this guy into the movies and let's create the vehicle. And, and again, I might be, you're correct. There's probably examples, maybe even Will Rogers is yeah, an example sure. of that. You know, Will Rogers was, was a, I don't even know what you would call him, an entertainer, uh, a person of... Uh, a humorist. A humorist that er- that was famous every... I will get him in the movies. The movies was the up-and-coming way to bring that person to the world. Um, I think the difference, though, between when you have Sinatra and Elvis is that the movies already had grown up a little bit. They'd already had a certain basic studio structure. And now the question was, let's meld it around. Let's get this vehicle. Let's put him in a, a type of Western. Let's put him in a... Uh, right. Now, before we get to Elvis, now, although Elvis had moves, I'd have to say Elvis couldn't really do much except sing. I mean, you wouldn't call him... I mean, Sinatra was able to hold his own a little bit and on the town. He was able to hoof a little bit, uh, right? He was able to get a little bit of dancing done. You wouldn't call him. And I think he was also an anchors away as well. So, Sinatra, and you're right, maybe it was, it was, but I don't think Elvis, and I've seen Elvis's moves when Elvis, like when they have all the singers and dancers around him, Elvis is on his own. Uh, you know, I mentioned Judy Garland to you off pod, and I mentioned her just re- just now as as she they they probably helped her. She was part of the Gum Sisters. I'm sure she had to do a, a lot of those moves, a lot of those dances, a lot of those classical stuff. But um, you know, here I think you know Hollywood said, and whether it's Colonel Tom said, let's get this guy who was who was so sensational, who who everywhere he goes, he's a magnet. Let's put him into movies and we'll just make a a boatload of money. I think that was the idea. There was another goal too. The other goal was that Elvis had something of a salacious reputation. He was, he was, he was Elvis, the pelvis, you know, and he was scandalous in the way that he danced and in the way that his music would combine things. So the goal of going to Hollywood wasn't just to get him on the big screen to make a ton of money, but it was to clean up his image. It was after he went to the army. And Colonel Parker saw this opportunity as, first of all, using the army as a way to make him much more squeaky clean. But then when he went to Hollywood, he did all these family-friendly movies. So it toned down his image in a way that made him much more acceptable to you know middle America. And it made him, it broadened his appeal quite a bit so that when he eventually got out of movies, he 
had a much bigger audience than he in my past. The first Elvis film that I saw was 1966's, I believe, Frankie and Johnny. And I saw it, I think it was on an NBC Saturday Night at the Movies in 1969, which shows you the film didn't have much of a box office because it got into TV pretty early. And for me, when I was watching the film, I knew who Elvis was, but I also saw Ellie Mae in that film. Donna Douglas was in that film as well. And of course, to me, I was so excited because here's one of my favorite sitcom stars from the Beverly Hillbillies. And here she was without that, you know, ridiculously um, exaggerated Southern accent that she did as Ellie Mae. And hey, she's smart. You know what I'm saying? She's not. She's not just a. You know, a, a, she's not just a bubblehead. You know, she's and she's singing. So there were a number of things there that that struck me about the Elvis movie. Um, and 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 I came to realize that hey, they have Elvis in these movies. They have these other people in movies. And of course, Donna Douglas was was one of a minor co-stars. If you, if you look into the whole, you know, you had Anne Margaret, of course, famously in Viva Las Vegas, and a whole a number of other, um, you know, various Hollywood people and, and 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 character actors and some starlets and others. But in Buzz Lerman's film, and I think that's probably the attitude of most people, most of these Elvis films that he made as a actor in this formula were forgettable. Um, I remember it happened at the world's fair was the first time I ever knew anything about Seattle. When I saw that film, I, cause it was, it was about the Seattle world's fair and there was a space needle and other things like that. So the films were very light in plot. Um, Elvis played pretty much the same character and what, and and then there were songs that were written for Elvis. Now, other than Jailhouse Rock, which was basically a redoing of, I guess, a, a LP that he'd already made, most of those songs that he sang were more like, they, they weren't what we would call the real rock and roll songs. They were more ballads and popular versions, and they were turned into records. I think if you, if you, you know, whatever, whether it was RCA, whoever he had to deal with, the movies were a means to sell the, not only to get people into the theater, but to sell the record. It seemed that much. They were coming out one, two a year, three a year. Um, there was novelty in the beginning. There was a certain excitement. But I think, as you point out, by the end, Elvis, his film career was sputtering. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the last films that he made was Stay Away Joe, which supposedly, um, maybe was Speedway or who knows? Anyway, the point is, is that uh, those movies were, um, it was considered objectionable on every single standard, um, you know, in terms of every trope and prejudicial point you can make against uh, Native Americans. Again, I, I'm not doing justice. Elvis lovers, yes, he girls, 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 whatever. But we know that Elvis's movies, none of them are going to be preserved i guess uh as some of the greatest films of the 20th century i want to talk about something else i want to talk about the concert film um that became a concert film not not the film that's the way it is i, I want to talk about what happened in 1968 um and i was not i must not have been watching tv that night i'm not sure if it was a friday night or not um but i i discovered it probably when I was in Skokie. 
I discovered the comeback album, which was, uh, it's a central part of Lerman's film. And it was, and it, it, it came out around Christmas time, 1968. It became later known as the comeback special because Elvis went back to who he was. Elvis went back to that boy from 1956 or 55 to 58 before he went into the army. Elvis did things. He looked different. He moved different. He sang with a type of passion and power that he hadn't sang up until that point. And when you watch this uh, comeback special, now the comeback special was about an hour with commercials. The commercials, by the way, were less intrusive than they are today. So I think it was about 55 minutes. I think, and, and maybe Singer that was sponsoring it, you know, were, you know, went easy on the amount of commercial time this way because they wanted to give as much of Elvis as possible. And it, it really is um, a, a, a time capsule of 1968 in terms of the what they tried to do with you know the trick photography um but that part i think is less impressive than just seeing the person performing by himself or with a guitar or with his band around him um it is the first time i saw it it was electrifying uh, i watched it again in preparation of talking to us talking with you guys today it still is it, like it is so powerful to see him and to see although the audience they said they called in from people you know outside of the studio to just come in you cannot fake the type of um impressions the type of incredible awestruck smiles and and you know the aspects of desire that you see on both men and women's faces when you see the audience reacting to Elvis during these during these sessions now it, it it was filmed over a couple of days and it was spliced together but the watching that special and since the special came out so many years ago uh, the Elvis files uh, have discovered all the outtakes they've discovered all you know, aspects that have weren't put into it and if you get the original if you get the four set disc you can get every little thing that 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 was connected to that special i have seen it all because <laughs> because it's all it's 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 fascinating it's the power that he exudes the raw energy the the dexterous control of his voice the ability that he had to go from one genre of song to another and remain with all that authentic as if his kishkas, his heart was lying out on the, on that square was incredible. And again, it could be, there are flashes in the films where you see that, but I think watching this is like, it's almost like opening up your vein and and inserting Elvis into your arm. Uh, I have to say there is a part of the of, of the special where um, they sort of do a little bit of a, a movie where he's like he's a guitar man and he's uh, he's going on a little journey and he's meeting a whole bunch of wanton women. But I, I think that in terms of and that part you could skip. <laughs> There's another part of the film, another part of the of, of the special, where 
they they have Elvis talking with his boys about where rock and roll comes from. And it's interesting that he talks about the Beatles. He talks about the birds. He mentions how impressed he is somewhat with them. But he really says that the roots of rock and roll go into rhythm and blues and soul and gospel. Um, he also mentions, by the way, that he's very impressed by what sound technicians can do, which, of course, is what they've all done with Elvis from that time on. They've all mixed him and remixed him. So he knew what he was talking about. But when he talks about rhythm and blues and gospel, the special takes you to uh, the song, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, and a Black man performing a beautiful ballet scene where he is acting out the words and I don't think it's Mahalia Jackson who's singing, but it's like it's, it is. It has that type of spirit. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And although they were afraid to put an actual uh, cross, they give you the sense that this is a church. And Elvis talks about the kingdom come and he talks about the glory. Um, again, TV and movies, Yaakov and Yitzhak, and Yitzhak were very afraid of being openly Christian or openly religious in any way. But this this section was trying to meld gospel with rock and gospel with Elvis specifically. And what they also did was they made sure to feature, and, and, and not in like a, what I would say in a uh, virtue signaling way, Black dancers and Black singers. Um, not only Elvis's backup group, but just a and it was just in a natural way, and I think that also reflected not only the spirit of the 1968, where there was a spirit of love, but also Elvis's real um, connection, which Lerman brings out in the film. You know, he almost hammers you over it with an anvil how much he was connected to the African American uh, background that, that around Tupelo and in Memphis. But you can see that in this special as well, um, even in that sort of garish you know like where where he's visit where he's the guitar man and he's going at the various brothels and other places black women are there dancing and as attractive and as involved with him as the white women that are around him the love interest is some sort of priscilla <laughs> a priscilla clone uh, someone who sort of has that sort of attitude and and looks a little bit i guess like her but there's black women and not only in any sort of just backup singer way, just as being uh, you know, beautiful and, and and equal completely to all the white dancers and singers. So, so I I think that the, the it's a very uplifting way in a sense. Um, that's another wonderful thing about it. Uh, the other part of the the film, the other part of the the special, which um, as you remember, Lerman makes a big deal about is the fact that the the ending of the special uh it was whether he was supposed to end with a christmas song or not he does sing blue christmas in the special he does sing blue christmas um and he sings it as he's as he's sitting down with his uh, with his with with the with the boys with the memphis boys around him but at the end of the special he sings if i can dream and um it, it was a song that was written by a couple of Jewish guys, and of course, I think I think Binder, who I think the, who was the director, was also Jewish. But um, I, I have to tell you, it gives me it 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 gives me chills 
to hear it. I don't know if you felt the same way when you heard him say, if I can dream. Um, it did. It, it's true. Elvis was definitely moved by the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, I didn't know if, if he was, you know, connected to, to Robert Kennedy or not. But, um, but, but I think that the, the, you know, hearing Elvis, you know, all by himself without any of the fancy um, dancers and singers around him uh, coming out in a white suit um, and, 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 and in a solemn way singing, if I can dream. Um, and, and again, I, I want to just to ask you guys if you think the lyrics are just hokey or not. Let me, let me share the lyrics with you just for um, There must be lights burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher in a sky more blue. If I can dream of a better land where all my brothers walk hand in hand, tell me why, oh why, oh why can't my dream come true? There must be peace and understanding sometime. Strong winds of promise that'll blow away the doubt and fear. If I can dream of a warmer sun where hopes came shining on everyone, tell me why, oh why, oh why won't that sun appear? Yeah. We're lost in a cloud with too much rain. We're trapped in a world that's troubled with pain. But as long as a man has the strength to dream, he can redeem his soul and fly. Deep in my heart is a trembling question. Still, I'm sure that the answer, answer is going to come somehow. Out there in the dark, there's a beckoning candle. Yeah. And while I can think, while I can talk, while I can stand, while I can walk, while I can dream. Oh, please let my dream come true right now. Let it come true right now. Now there's an oh yeah after that. But that's the that's the lyrics. Now, of course, I didn't want to try to imitate Elvis singing it. I have to tell you that before we we talked tonight, I wanted to see who covered that 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 song. And I saw Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> who's of course one of our tribe that I don't know if you could compare him to Elvis wow tra trapped in a world that's full of pain instead of troubled with pain and it's it's full and, and again it's 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 a, it's it's a world that's that's troubled by pain also the, he changed the word of beckoning candle to burning candle and beckoning is so great a candle that's beckoning. The candle's out there just beckoning us. Not just burning, it's beckoning us to, to change things. The one thing that is missing from this song is God, right? The one thing that's missing from this song is, is, is you know, if, if it would be, you know, it, it's, it's, it's appealing to people. Now, do you think that, you know, again, obviously it's very similar to the Martin Luther King, I, had a, I Have a Dream speech, Um but but you think what do you guys think are, are the lyrics hokey? I don't know. I I actually feel that they're very important even for today. What do you guys think? A lot of songs were that hokey back then. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's the I, I shouldn't say that, but protest songs and message songs all had a, a bit of a sledgehammer effect. So I I appreciate that you like the lyrics. They are better. Barry Manilow probably softened them because it might have worked with the meter better. He, he's you know, <laughs> Barry Manilow yeah. is a performer. He was a yeah. lot like Elvis in that he's a uh, he he's very much 
tied to the audience and he knows what the audience wants and he knows how to give it to them. But I don't know I, when I think that scene was in the Boz Lerman movie. Yes, and, it was. It was. And connecting it so overtly to the King assassination almost diminished the scene. Mm-hmm. It made it made it too obvious and it made it just too. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a bit that Elvis was fighting with his manager in order to get it on, but that wasn't as interesting as the actual performance. What he does as a performer uh, sort of transcends all of these easy, you know, pop psychological um, interpretations. So, or, or, or maybe what we could say is like this: the words themselves sound very similar to the types of. I guess now tropes of, hey, why can't we all get together? Why can't we have brotherhood? Why can't there be this sun for a better world for all of us? But Elvis's soul that he invests into that song, his body movements, um, you know, the really cause him to be the author of the song. He really owns it. And I think that's why the song has not been covered that often. Uh, you know, Blowing in the Wind has been covered quite a bit. Um, you, you, there's probably hundreds. I, I think, you know, again, Lerman, we're not, this is, we're not talking about Buzz Lerman and, and Moulin Rouge and any of his films, but he isn't about subtlety. We know that, right? He's about, you know, like you say, sledgehammer, super special effects imagery. My point though is Lerman's film spurred me to go see the real thing. Lerman's thinks that, you know, Elvis is still something. And and I know, despite all the issues that surrounded him, that he this was not inauthentic. Now, it, now again, you, you might want to say that everybody was doing protest songs. What can we say, Yaakov? I mean, there's certain. When I, I mentioned to you about Judy Garland earlier. There's certain performers. It's just impossible. You, you have to say that in that moment they are not faking it. No, I don't think Elvis was faking it. I think that was what you're saying about Elvis is that he was all these contradictions. He was religious, but he was profane. He was black, but he was white. He was gospel, but he was rock. Uh, They're all true. You know, he was trying to do and he did naturally just bridge all of these audiences. That's one of the reasons he was so popular. It's one of the reasons that the people around him thought that he could bridge even more gaps and they wanted him to be the the family friendly sex symbol which is insane <laughs> right. but but that's what they 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 said if anybody could pull this off it's him and he he really believed these things and i think this is something that the the Baslerman movie gets right is that he he grew up in this um weird cross cultural moment and and place you know where he lived um was really just he was the the poor white guy in the black community, and he learned stuff that other people didn't learn, and he he felt it, and he he legitimately lived that life, and he experienced it, and he related to it in a way that most of the singers of that time, you know, the Beatles, they had their um, they had their their message at that point. They were already incredibly counterculture, but they weren't experiencing hardship. They couldn't say, you know, they they could write about Eleanor Rigby, but then when they performed it, it sounded like Paul McCartney singing Eleanor Rigby. It wasn't the same as Elvis Presley, who was basically breaking down on stage. And that was part of his, you know, 
That was part of his power. He was a great, great performer. He really knew how to command the stage, but also knew how to get the emotion out of himself to the point where he can make something super memorable. Wonderfully said. And I think you have to add to that, Yaakov, that it was almost a savant-like gift. He, you know, even Judy, as, as, as natural as she was, they had the voice coaches working with her. We'll talk about Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire always talked about, you know, working with the choreographers, getting all those moves right. Elvis, although I'm sure, you know, he worked with his musicians about getting a certain note to put in, but the actual singing talent, the actual vocal ability seemed to have been just innate within him. It wasn't like, you know, he had to go to like a Pavarotti or someone to somehow learn how to master this instrument. And again, I, I'm not, I, I don't have Elvis's bio perfectly, but I never have heard that he was ever sent anywhere. Um, you know, we have so many, and maybe that's part of the reason why, you know, we talk about his films being a dud. There was sort of no way that as an actor, he could become even close to what he could do as a singer. Right. He was, you know, when he did act, when he was supposed to, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a stiff mannequin completely, but, but, but it was so, it was, it was so below what would happen. I mean, people have said the same thing about Fred Astaire, that when Fred Astaire did his dancing, that was angelic. That was sort of like you, you were you were transported when he did dancing scenes, however he did with Ginger Rogers, whoever it was. And then the rest of the film, the acting and, you know, and the issues that were going on, you know, they seemed to be, you know, like who cared? Um, maybe the closest a stare came to really putting his neshama into some acting was probably the bandwagon, like where he you, you get to see a little bit of of him struggling with his age and who what he's about. Uh, but still, you know, I guess whenever you have someone who is so great in something, the film is always going to be, it's not going to be able to match up the, the, uh, the, and, and I guess that's part of the reason why, you know, the formulaic aspect of all the Ginger Rogers Astaire film have somewhat of a similar, uh, similar nature to what we're talking here about Elvis. The problem, of course, with Elvis is this, that is the musical numbers were also, we're not, we're, we're, we're like you, you say, they needed to be toned down. That's why when you see this special, I think you see the real Elvis. You see, whether it's Trouble, whether it's Heartbreak Hotel, whether it's You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, there you're seeing, you know, you're seeing the co-op, you're seeing the energy uh, some of the hip moves, the pelvic moves, that that's where you're seeing him. And and it's unfortunate that I think that's the only place in film that you can find him. I, I want to say that I did start, Yaakov, um, uh, it was on HBO Max, I was able to find uh, That's the Way It Is, which is another Elvis concert film. And it, it really struck me as being, you know, uh, too full of, um, too full of, cinematic tricks and uh they speed up the camera uh they do a number of things there that and 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 another thing why it's hard for me to watch it i think something happened to him and again this is not really a from 68 to 70 he only aged two years he made when you look at him in 1970 you already see the puffiness you already see the 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 roundness 
then later became, you know, such a, it's almost sickening to watch those of us who, who, who really remember Elvis as a younger person and to see him. And, and I think that part, going back to Buzz Lerman's film, that, that last concert, if you remember that scene that I'm talking about, I mean, the prosthetics there, I mean, that was, that was the, that was the actor, Butler, let's say it again, the actor, Austin Butler, that was in those prosthetics uh, with Elvis not being able to, to stand up, but singing Unchained Melody. I mean, that was, that was an, again, this is not a, a recommendation of Lerman's film, but that was a great directorial decision to actually describe his death and his funeral and then go back and 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 and, and again you re, in the film what he could have done was have that as the penultimate scene then talk about his burial and have Jimmy Carter's speech but what they did instead was put him into the ground talk about how the icon that he was with the president and then have a, a, a flashback again to that last time on stage in 1977, the fat guy who could barely stand up. But when he started to sing and he started to sing Unchained Melody and he started to, uh, that I thought was probably the best. I, I do want to point out that, you know, you know who really didn't like Elvis's movies was Elvis. He was probably his harshest critic. He knew they were beneath him and he knew that he was better served with the camera simply pointed at him on stage. And that's why when I think he made these specials, they were really comeback specials to him, not because he went anywhere. He was still really in the public eye. He simply wanted to say, I'm coming back to myself. Yes, it it was. um, Right. So he would make jokes, by the way, when he was on stage and he would make jokes about his movies. Yeah. He generally didn't make air, but, but he would, he would, find the, a reason to in the to comeback special and the comeback special he does say worthwhile at all again i don't know you you work for tcm that does does tcm um do you ever note how many hits you get this do elvis's films do people El- watch elvis them elvis has fans he his movies definitely have um have folks who turn up for them and every time we do let's say a bit a birthday tribute to him um there will be a lot of people who are excited about it and it sparks debate. Some people always complain that the movies are, you know, not great. Not that everything that's shown on air is great, but um, but other people come to his defense and say, maybe, yes, there aren't, you know, there's stuff that isn't great, but it has, you know, Barbara Stanwyck will show up every now and then. And, and as you said, his co-stars are always kind of, um, you know, interesting and yeah. they have, they have different um, appeals to different people, and they're definitely drenched in this um, weird nostalgia for a time in America. You know, the travelogue aspect of it, where he would go, he'd be in this place in one movie, and he'd be in another place in another movie. And that was very much part of a, a time and place. And, um, you know, movies tried to do that. They tried to um, transport the the viewer in, you know, to almost to differentiate from... In, in the Elvis films... The, especially towards the end, they were mostly on the soundstage. 
they would like even when Elvis was supposed to be in London and Paris and all those places, it, it, it was it was just back projection, back projection screen. Whether it was Parker who wouldn't let him go or whatever it was, it, 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 it was nothing like the travelogues that Hitch did. I mean, when Hitch took you to places or or even Stanley Donan imitating Hitch and Charade or other places, they actually took you. <laughs> but 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 you wanted to put in a vote when I talked to you earlier. You you felt that Elvis didn't ring any bells for you. Uh, make your case for the other Tennessee, uh, I wouldn't call him, I guess a tenor you would call him, right? Or a baritone. M- make your case for the other Tennessee a tenor slash baritone. Well, uh, I, somehow Johnny Cash uh, strikes strikes me uh, as much more of a authentic character. I don't know. He doesn't, he, he's, he, he really seems to mean what he's, whatever he says, you know? So I don't, I don't, even though, he, again, he also has somewhat of a filmography, maybe not as big as. Uh, Johnny Cash lived longer than Elvis did, obviously. And right. he meant a lot to, uh, his audience. Um, and I think you're correct. He's, he wasn't trying, like we, Yaakov and I spoke about him being everything to everybody. Johnny Cash was not everyone's taste. It's interesting that I remember Johnny Cash, of course, from the Johnny Cash show, which I think was on in the late sixties and early seventies, uh, the same period, you know, what we're talking about with Elvis. And I think what, what many people had at that period, variety shows whether it's, you know, Sonny and Cher or other recording artists. So that a, Julie Andrews, who was primarily a singer, although she was an actress, also had a variety show at that time. I think the idea of putting Johnny Cash on TV, uh, you know, for the networks, it made sense. Uh, they believed, especially if, you know, you could get others around him, uh, that would be something. Uh, you know, he, uh, and, and, and you're right, Yitzchak, there, there is a sense, the downtrodden, feel towards johnny cash uh i he didn't spend that long in prison but i think he became uh, a favorite among those that had been imprisoned and were now uh free that he somehow stood for them Um, a lot lot of that was again which we discussed when we used to have the other podcast it came from his more of his religious background you know yeah he only he only maybe spent a few nights in county jail but he he, you know, looked at that idea of looking at the, you know, his whole song about the man in black, you know, caring about all these, you know, people who nobody else seems to care about. And that was really, you know, that was his ministry really more than than anything else was that it, he's and, and also, you know, like his care for his interest in different cultures. You know, he was he was somewhat like uh, in, in the country music scene, he was, you know, kind of like Plato's philosopher king, you know, that he he balanced that, you know, whereas Elvis was the king. But 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 uh, Johnny Cash was more the philosopher. He was he was the preacher. He was the he was he was, you know, he, he his, you know, getting into ideas of protests and things really came from a very visceral place. You know, his care about the Native American communities and, and telling their story and his interest you know just in some of the johnny cash show episodes you know he'll he'll highlight all these different cultures you know he'll, he'll sing waltzing matilda you know he'll cover all these songs that uh that really uh you know were not the type of songs and you know talk and try to you know 
explain what the words mean and and you know talk a little bit about the Australian culture and then he'll sing you know different songs and he he would he was able to cover all these things in his own way that you know whenever he would cover a song that was popular somewhere else he always did it in a way that that sounded unique <coughs> and didn't sound phony didn't sound you know there there's so many bad music covers and I agree with you I agree with you on that that I, I if we if we if this is Johnny versus Elvis I'll agree with you Elvis when Elvis for example one of Elvis's worst covers in my mind is Bridge Over Troubled Waters uh right. you know and and you can hear it and you can see that you know he's struggling with trying to not just do what Paul Simon did it really doesn't work I heard it today mixed with the Royal London Philharmonic Orchestra it sounded a little bit better you're right. Johnny Cash had a way of taking a song and turning it totally into a Johnny Cash song. And and what's incredible about it is he he had maybe one fifth of Elvis's singing talent. I mean, you gotta admit that. I mean, oh, yeah. right. I mean, That's Elvis El, Elvis was smooth. Elvis could Elvis could do falsetto. Elvis could Johnny Cash is pretty much, you know, the same monotone quality of voice. He's not going to, you know, right? And yet, I agree with you. He did it with his power of presentation, uh, and I would say, I guess that's uh, that's an acting talent as well. Favor. There was a film that I saw when I was growing up. It was called A Gunfight, and it had Kirk Douglas and Johnny Cash. And Kirk was sort of at the end of his, you know, matinee idol career. Although he did make a couple of other important films. Um, and it's basically got, you know, Johnny Cash's and Kirk Douglas share the screen. Um, I think that and, and, and even in the Columbo episode, which is probably one of the weaker episodes, uh, you know, with, and, and, and it's hard probably for people to accept that Johnny is a murderer because, you know, you know, um, in, in every Columbo episode, you have to accept Dick Van Dyke's a murderer and you have to accept that uh uh, Le- you know, Leonard Nimoy is a murderer, and and Peter Ustinov. So I guess you can accept that Johnny Cash is the murderer as well. But uh, I think we could probably say that where he was used as an actor, he's probably was used more efficiently. Asked to do as much, but I think I think you could probably make that case uh, that that you know he probably let's say vindicated himself more as an actor perhaps uh, than, than Elvis did. Uh, again, they both were in Memphis. They both recorded at Sun Records. Uh, they were together, I think, in the Louisiana Hayride. I think there was a lot of uh, overlap between the two. Um, and 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 many and many people will tell you. I think it'll be on your side that they find Elvis as bubblegum, and they find Johnny Cash as you know a real satisfying person to listen to. Um, yeah again in terms of our where we're coming from this is a, a a podcast about film and about vintage tv i would also say again i haven't I, I remember watching the johnny cash episode the episodes when i was growing up he would say my name is johnny cash i mean that's the way he would come out there right i don't know i i, I think he should have said clear the aisles i'm not sure what he should have said but like you know when he got out there he says you say hello. I'm Johnny Cash. Hello, yeah. hello. I'm Johnny Cash. Okay, right. Okay, yes. <laughs> hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Um, 
Yeah, again, it was hard. You know, you had Glenn Campbell out there. You know, you have to know how to start any show or any. I I, I understand it. I mean, but, one, one of the things also we discussed was how you know you said, you know, Priscilla would have been nobody without Elvis, but but June Carter was June Carter long before uh, uh, Johnny Cash was in the picture. You know, they you know, look a power Pris- couple. You know? Yaakov, I think you have to agree. Priscilla Presley would. You know, what is she besides Elvis's wife? I mean, I did see the Naked Gun films. I guess that's acting. I don't know exactly. I didn't see Dallas when she was in it. I don't know exactly. Um, But Yitzchak is right that, again, we're not really comparing the wives, but Johnny was embedded and as as River, what was it, Walking Phoenix's film, he was saved in a way, as you can see in I Walk the Line, by his connection to, to June Carter Cash. She was uh, uh, a, a, a very, she was a more of a performer than he was in many ways. Um, yeah. She had been singing longer, her family was involved, and it seems like it was. So you, so you believe that, you know, although Elvis was a tremendous heart, but he was frustrated and 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 sort of all over the place, and of course, as every Elvis movie points out, the terrible ending of what occurred to him. Do you think Johnny ends up as a uh, in salvation in a way? He he actually the, the the persona that he exuded, the idea of seriousness of 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 thinking about a higher purpose in life and working towards a higher purpose. Uh, you believe that's where he was. You talked about Yitzchak, and, and you know also like his. You know, after he he went through rehab, he he went. It was it was like a tshuva miyahava type of thing where he was, you know, trying to be a good influence on other people not to fall into, not to fall into drug problems and things. And and you know, and his drug problem came from the painkillers a lot in the same way a lot of things you know today with the opioids. You know, it wasn't uh, so much a recreational type of thing, but he was. Yeah, you know, and he wasn't being preachy. He wasn't being holier than now. He was he was being real, like you know this this really messed me up, and I I don't want to see other people suffer the way I suffered. And it's uh, and so he had also you know a big mission in that you know, and that was that's also a major type of redemption. I think know. another thing that you pointed out to me that I didn't know was the amount of charity that uh, cash. <laughs> the amount of cash that Johnny gave yeah. out, right? He was yeah. he was he was extremely generous. We know yeah. that Elvis was was prone to like giving Cadillacs to people or people that someone you know some woman that had helped him when he was young. He decided to knock on his door and you know here's a Cadillac for you. But you're saying Johnny actually gave uh, he gave of his wealth and in, 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 in a very stolid, uh, important way, right? You said yeah. he was actually yeah yeah. I mean the one story I was. I read once was because I have a book that I picked up for pretty cheap at a store for maybe a dollar fifty or something, which was uh, written by one of the housekeepers in his house. And just she spoke about how generous he was. And when he would go down, he had a house somewhere down in the Caribbean. He would um, he would just give out so much money to, to all the poor people there, buy shoes, buy clothes, just give them money and food and everything. And and a lot of other stories like that where he would just give away uh, a lot because he he grew up in poverty and and he knew what that was like and he he felt the blessing of of his prosperity you know was something that you know he he really had to share it was that that was his say it again 
Now, we, we talked about these iconic singers, Elvis, and maybe Johnny Cash. It's interesting when we just add Bob Dylan to the mix. And even though I think there is a concert film called Don't Look Back with Dylan in it, Mm-hmm. I think that Dylan, when he was in the film, the Sam Peckinpah film, uh, Pat uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Dylan plays a minor character there. And although uh, I think one of Dylan's um, songs is is in the soundtrack, um, "Knock Knock Knocking on Heaven's Door" is in the soundtrack, and that's a, a great song. And only Dylan could sing it. But Dylan could not make that move. Dylan could not. You know, he was he could he can only act really when he's singing. He can only act when he's on stage and putting it into a song. He really it's almost it's 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 painful to see Dylan reading these lines. You can tell that he 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 can't be there. So, you know, I'm wondering maybe, you know, when we talk about this phenomena of performers, people of such spirit and soul. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, whatever you want to say, Johnny Cash's limited vocal range, he definitely was a person of of intense spirit, uh, a strong, and, and I think Johnny probably did the, again, that's why I'm going to make the case here. I think he had more of a vocal range than Dylan has. <laughs> I, I agree with you, but he doesn't have his songwriting talent. He doesn't have his the right. type of, 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 of vision and the type of right. I, images in his mind. Um I mean, no one's giving Johnny Cash a Nobel Prize for uh, for a boy named Sue, although he didn't even write a, a you know a boy no, named he Sue. He didn't even write that song. Uh, the point though is, I think Shel Silverstein wrote it. <laughs> yeah, Shel, I think Johnny Cash is probably if the uh, uh, if Johnny versus Elvis. I think I, I could say that Johnny, as I mentioned before, makes the transition easier into the limited filmography that he has. I think he's able to do it. You know, you know, we talk about you know great performances in film. Um, you know, a, a person. You know, you know. Look, Gary Cooper often was able to just do so much just by his presence. There was something he could do with the camera on his face. There was something he can exude. Now, of course, Coop was was magnificent in so many films, but you know, it, it almost became towards the end of his career. It was just his silence was something. You, and, and another person who could just, you know, it, it was his ability to seem serious and exude a power to those around him. Clint Eastwood, almost all of his later films are like that. Um, right. Yeah, and and I think that's something similar what Johnny Cash did. Yitzhak is that part of it was you knew it was Johnny Cash, and and yet he could play a character that was meant to. Uh, be serious, meant to sort of like uh, portend evil, death, uh, change, or even what you're saying, changing his life. None of that stuff. Again, Elvis was never asked to do anything like that. He was just supposed to be the uh, you know the main character that would get in trouble, uh, that people were to save the girl, um, whatever it was. Uh, I, I think the fact that Johnny outlives Elvis allowed Hollywood to find whether places where they could use the iconic aspect of him and it's when you get these performances these which which you could say are just singing but when you when you you can see there a, a miniature epic within four minutes the epic of a of struggle the epic of loss the the that note that's held I think that's really where you get 
and and that's that's the classic aspect of of song and film and that's why they could in a way you know that can really exist independently of 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 everything else that's around it you know i would say i come back to to uh to judy garland again was she robbed of an oscar for a star is born uh, again you could say well what was her acting in it you know but when the man that got away isn't that worth about you know 45 minutes of of dialogue when you hear her sing the man that got away when when you and you realize you know how powerful it is how much it it, it tells you about longing and getting older as she says uh it is it's fantastic. That uh, you could say, what's well, only the, the the lyricist, and it was only the the person who came up, uh, the the person who wrote the music and the lyricist, but that's not true. And I, I and I again, I point to Barry Manilow. <laughs> I point to Barry Manilow singing "If I Can Dream." So it, 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 it's almost Yaakov, and again, I'm sure in TCM and others, they've done these compilation films of, you know, of of things like that, you know, that's entertainment. I'm not sure if they've taken um, just these, these epic singing parts, these epic songs that appear in a film that are. My first job at TCM was I ran the fan club and we once did a contest where people had to say who was the biggest Oscar snub in history and far and away Judy Garland for A Star is Born was was the winner. It was like every fifth nomination that we got was for Judy Garland in A Star is Born. So it, it's it's very possible. I mean, there's there's a snobbery when it comes to singing in movies. You know, people look at Fred Astaire and they say, it's so beautiful and it's so cinematic because it's motion. But when somebody is singing, they start to think, this isn't really a movie this is a performance, but it could be a performance on stage and it could be a perform it could be a performance on record. So there's a snobbery against music. And it's um it's not fair because A, it discounts how it was shot and how it was cut and what exactly was being used in order to to give over the emotion. But it also just really doesn't give enough credit to the actors. And there are a lot of them. There are a lot of people who gave great performances musical and singing performances who will never get really recognized because they consider it a lower form of acting in some way they feel like the lyrics and the song and the music are are conveying the emotion instead of the acting well, Yako is, is a, well, 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 going you know, uh, uh my uh, uh my drama coach uh deborah winger she she was not a singer and she's she was also snubbed for the oscars so well, she okay. was young, but but you know it's. I think there was was when you go up against Shirley MacLaine, who you know did not get her Oscar yet. I think she was in in in, in, in a tough situation there. Um, it, it's it's. I would say Yitzchak objectively, it's a little bit. It's probably a toss up. They both did a great job in terms of endearment. I think they were both very very good. Um, who has the more real human performance? Deborah Winger, I would say. Uh, Shirley MacLaine is doing a character much more than Deborah Winger is in that film. But 
again, I think Yaakov is right. They thought Deborah Winger would be coming back <laughs> consistently. She decided that she she had enough of it after a while. Well, she moved to Calicoon and then <laughs> she is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Yaakov, I, I'm, I, I'm so happy that you saved my my meandering rant by what you said. I'll only, but I have a little lumbus to explain why that prejudice exists. Not that we need to get so deep into the minds of the people who are voting for Oscar, because many of them are just, you know, fools and idiots and people who just happen to have been around for a long time. But I think I think what people don't people got used to, especially the old ones, was that we're just gonna stick a song in here, you know, to put a song into the into the movie to sell the the music. And many of the actresses were lip syncing to some other person who wasn't who was right. You know, yeah, I'm not I'm not even talking about, you know, Marnie Nixon, who let, who did the singing uh, for uh, for Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and for Natalie Wood in a West Side Story. This goes all the way back to films, you know, all the films in the 30s and 40s where, you know, the the leading lady is also some sort of a lounge singer. Uh, so, so I think the they got used to the idea that songs were phony, right? Yeah, that songs, true. that songs, yeah. And, and, and when you had someone like Judy who could belt it out and belt it out in a way, I mean, as I said, you know, when James Mason sees this singer, you're in the spoil along with him because that that type of power and talent just doesn't come along. Um, and you know, again, I, I, you're right. There is that the prejudicial dismissiveness. Um, and, and, and part of it, I, I'll, I'll say it even better. Having Astaire and Kelly sing in their movies downplays the significance of singing in general. It's almost like I want to say, you know, being a rabbi, I'll say there's too many Kylo guys because they give a bad name to the best guys. You know, I, I understand it's a musical and people will tell you Irving Berlin felt that Fred Astaire knew how to hit the notes better than almost anyone. But the truth is, is that once it's like anybody is singing, right? You know, Jules Munchen is singing it on the town, right? You, you know, you, the third guy, like, you know, you, 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 you have Dan Daly singing, you know, in, in, in his musicals, singing became almost like, well, as long as you can hit hit the notes and be on tune. It, it really, therefore, I think, cheapens it when you have the type of, like, like, like startling, shattering type of performances that you get from, not not just you know Ella Fitzgerald being able to break a glass. We're talking about like bottling power, life, intensity, and and, and I think you know, the, again again uh, the most obvious example is Barbara. Isn't it clear that it that that Streisand's Oscar and Funny Girl is basically seventy five percent what she's able to do with her voice and singing? Well, it was also just <laughs> it was a it was a coronation, you know. It's her first movie. It's her, it's just um, it, it was that moment of. And first of all, she did tie with Catherine Hepburn, so it was a shared Oscar. But it was it, it was this moment of just her landing at the perfect moment with the perfect project, and and it was also at that fascinating little time, 
you know, maybe like maybe like eight years or a decade long when Jews were sex symbols. And <laughs> and you know, and you had the the one the second, hold on. Who Lauren McCall did not put her Jew- Jewishness you know, on her sleeve. Who else would you and Lauren, no, but I, I mean a I mean a specifically Jewish look. You know, the Barbara Streisand, you know, she made her nose into her trademark, but Elliot Gould and the dark curly hair and Richard George Siegel and George Siegel and, um, and, and even Dustin Hoffman, you know, with his, with his almost, um, unattractive attractiveness, you know, his, his, his boringness was considered was considered something you know really attractive for this I'm brief I'm so period. happy you came today. I would never have thought about this uh, this way. I'm so happy you really this is a whole different take. Um yeah. But that was part of Barbara's appeal. She was there at that moment and it was and everybody knew also because it was Barbara Streisand she was coming from the New York clubs and then from Broadway that when she sang she was singing so it's like what you were saying. There was no fakery involved. And of course, that was part of the big um, the big budget musicals of the mid to late 60s that were all the rage, where you knew that the people that were cast were actually performing their own songs. So it was it was part of that trend, too. But it was just that um, that moment of looking at Barbara and saying, wow, this is the next big thing. And they were right. She was the next big thing. And what she was able to do she could insert into those incredibly strong notes, those high notes, she could insert such power, you know, and, you know, don't rain on my parade. Um, You know, it's, it's. um, But to give Barbara some other credit though, she's also an incredibly good comedic actress and half the movie is her being funny. The other half is her singing. So there's more to the performance than just the power of her voice. Correct. Yeah. Good. But you know what? A lot of actresses can do pratfalls, uh, can do one-liners. I'm not saying she was very good at it. Uh, What's Up Doc is another example of, of, of her quickness, of what she's able to do. Poor Madeline Kahn and What's Up Doc. But, <laughs> but she still, Madeline Kahn still steals the movie, by the way, in What's Up Doc. Despite... All Barbara Shtickerai, Madeline Kahn is is really great in the in the direct that they gave her to do. She is fantastic. She she plays one of the the most uh, unattractive Jewish type of roles you could ask for, and she hits it out of the park, Madeline Kahn. But Streisand is a smart Alec. She is able to come up with Jewish type of uh, give and takes and backs. But I really, again, I, I'll stick by it. It's because of the transformative power of her voice of what she's able to do in singing, which again is really makes her something much greater than a movie star. She really is. I mean, you know, Barbara, Judy, Elvis, um, these people that we're talking about, even well, throw in Johnny Cash, of course, as well. Th- that's what we're talking about. And I think that's, you know, the, uh, you, know, you know, Barbara, yes, movies gave, people the ability to see her um and to see her around uh you know and, and i know she put her heart i know is yentl 40 years older yet i think yentl is was 82 yes yeah, so yes so i guess we could do yet we could mention yentl as well but you know yentl which is so much of of her 
of her personal she to her it was her most personal film her 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 dedication to her jewishness um was yentl i mean and, yentl is yentl is everything it my father used to say that only barbara streisand would cast mandy patinkin in a musical again barbara's it's barbara you know it's barbara that you're waiting to sing papa can you hear me i i think in many ways when you when you balance what she's about the it, it, it's overwhelmingly the overwhelming amount is 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 her vocal performance and what she can do vocally um, i don't know i i don't know i'm going to push back i think put, that she she was she was a personality even before she hit movies she was already going on tv she was already a favorite of groucho marx you know she could she could keep up with the big boys and she could make the old men laugh and she had a uh, and she knew this she knew that um at least she said that her look you know she knew her looks were untraditional she needed to bring something else to the stage and she was she was already a, a name and I think she's really good in Yentl. I think the stuff that she does, she's playing, remember, she's playing somebody that you have to, tr- you have to believe that other people believed that she wasn't a girl. And, and she pulls that off. You know, you have to believe that Amy Irving is falling in love with him, him being her. It's a tricky part. <laughs> yes, and, right. you know, it's not, it's not as tricky as Dustin Hoffman in the same in year. You know, being where Dustin Hoffman has to play, you know, every different version of that. But um, because that he really transformed, but he also transformed from being a male, you know, to a female, which is traditionally supposed to be harder than going from female to male. So it's uh, it's I think she's I think she's rather good. You know, I think I think Barbara Streisand gets a lot of flack for being Barbara Streisand and just being this unnatural talent although apparently she really really worked to learn how to sing it was not that she just came out of the womb uh doing you know every every possible scale she she put in the time and she put in the effort and so when she does those trills she's doing them because <laughs> she oh, earned okay. it oh yeah, right and and i'm not taking that away from her um it's funny you know yakov that you know although she did make the prince of tides and some other films where I don't think she sings at all. Um, even the way we were is a is she's not singing other than the um, uh, the the title song <laughs> that she sings in the beginning, which I think mo- more people know that than they know the basic story between her and Redford in it. But her career really, you know, she's not doing dra- dra- dramatic parts. She's not she's not doing character actress. They had her in that and in, 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 in that you know with dustin hoffman i think was it with dustin hoffman and the fockers right Right. so they had her in there but she really has not in any way you know gone back to to being anything like a serious actress right Uh, i i I think she she almost um she's very choosy or what could she do you know what I'm saying? Well, what, she what wanted to direct, you know, Yentl was the big moment where she was going to break through and she was going to be the big female director. And there were so few, there were so few back then. And she never got, you know, the credit and she had to go and essentially raise all the money herself. It was, it was very difficult. And um, so I think she realized, you know, a lot of people who do, um, who produce their own directing, 
the people, even who are, even the ones who are phenomenally rich, you know, like, uh, like George Lucas, they consider it too difficult. It's just such a pain that they don't really want to go back. So she, they, maybe she just got, got tired of it. She she definitely doesn't need the money, but I think the fact is, is that the, the moguls in Hollywood don't see in her the the character that they need uh, to to put forth to to embody to bring something out and i think that really underscores my point that what she was was this fin- and and she isn't that voice talent anymore either she can't sing the way she did she can't do in her in her in her i think she's 80 now i think or something like that she cannot do what she used to do um you know and again you could you could trot clint out you know, one more time in you know, in Grand Camino. What was that again? Grand Grand Torino. You could put him out there, you know, and but there really isn't much for Barbara to do. You know, it, it's sort of like you know, it's 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 similar to you know, Astaire, you know, at the end of his life was just making a couple of you know, make a couple of cameo appearances somewhere. And right. I, you know, I and, and I don't think Barbara would want to do that. So you know, it, Well, she she also recognizes that as she's an icon. And icons are only diminished by by by, by, by revealing them by yes. revealing themselves. So it's yes. it's really a um, she recognizes that she has power in her in holding back. I will tell you though, as we end tonight, that uh, it is if you are going to people who are listening to this the show of us us movie TV maniacs talking here, um, if you do decide to start looking and and, and discovering stuff that's streaming. What's definitely worth your while is Elvis and Frank Sinatra when they were welcoming Elvis back from the army. That was Elvis coming back from the army. Frank Sinatra did a special welcoming Elvis and seeing those two together. There's a little shot of it in the Lerman film as it's ending. You can see a little like 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 two seconds of it. But that is a great scene. And I think one of the most powerful, incredible things to watch is the very young Barbara Streisand from 1964 singing with Judy Garland on her on her variety show? Uh, those two when they sing "Happy Days" and it's uh, they're both singing uh, different songs and together that is also a transformative moment because Judy starts out weak, and when Barbara starts generating some energy, you can see Judy get into it. And both of them, really, it's 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 the passing of the torch. It's uh, again one of these things that we like we say, ah, oh, you know, it was we are we are so blessed that we were able uh, to capture that. And you know, in in in, in a much minor way, <laughs> but for me, major, we were blessed today to have Yaakov. Yaakov, you got to come back. We we definitely need your insight and understanding, and and you know, and, and anybody, any friend, anybody who works for TCM is always welcome. Tell me, I, I love Eddie Muller. What type of, is, what's, would Eddie Muller, I mean, does he do anything like this or is he, is he too big to touch? I don't know. It's a good question. He's, he's very busy. He just had his uh, film noir film fest uh, up in San, up in San Francisco. And he's, uh, he does a lot. He writes a lot. Yeah. He restore, he's a restoration guy. So he's finding movies and he, he does fundraising, you know, in the same way other people do fundraising for yeshivas. He does them to restore yeah. film. And it's, uh, 
you, all your hosts have got a different aspect to them, but I learned the most from Eddie Muller. Well, Eddie also probably gets away with having the longest intros. So yeah. he's, uh, yeah, I, he somehow struck that as part of his deal and he makes it work. So he's, yeah. uh, but he's wonderful and he's a great guy. He's, he's just a friendly guy who loves a good yarn and he's a lot right. of fun. Yitzhak, what do you think? We should, we, we you wouldn't you want to, you wouldn't want to have Eddie Mower? Oh boy. Even five minutes of Eddie Mower on the show would be great. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, my friends, watch your step on the way out. We'll catch you next time. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 